Yo, this is episode number 45, coming to you live from the I Am Studios, but also taking a look back at something very important. My parents. I introduced my parents on the podcast early when we were developing because they were so important to me. And I use the past tense because my dad passed away suddenly in 2017 and my mom passed away after a long battle with multiple uh, maladies in 2019. And they were extremely instrumental, not just in my upbringing, but planting the seeds for LA in a minute. And I can honestly say without them, without each of their contributions, there is no LA in a minute or in a minute with Evan Lovett. And on a day-to-day basis, my wife and my son are my strength and my inspiration. But without a doubt, my parents were the most important people in my life as far as ingraining that love for Los Angeles and my curiosity and passion. And I owe it to them. And it's a testament to my team that we're able to bring them on the show in kind of a magical way. And it's something that for me gets me a little bit choked up. So I'm hoping that this is something that introduces you to my parents, these wonderful people that really are the reason why In A Minute exists. Um, And additionally, this episode, we do some fun stuff before that. There's a mailbag, kind of a getting to know me. Again, this is a really personal episode. One thing that I learned this week, which is awesome because it's something that all of us use all the time and more and more. And of course, you know, it happened right here in Los Angeles. And as always, I close out with one thing to do in LA this week. And this is really one of my favorite. And I'm going to just give you a sneak peek. It's something to eat and something with an amazing crunch, but stay tuned. This is a fun episode and a personal episode. It's a look back. And before I forget, this episode is brought to you by McKenna Cars. McKennaCars.com. With nine dealerships in LA and Orange County, all roads lead to McKenna. That's McKennaCars.com. All right, y'all. Let's get into it. So, today's mailbag is awesome. Some fun comments and questions. Let's start with my boy Mitch from Canyon Country. Like a young Huel Hauser that cusses like an artist. Oh, do I love this one. Now listen, if you don't know who Huel Hauser is, he's an LA and California legend. He had like 13 different shows, but it was all like Huel Hauser expo- explores the coast. Huel Hauser's California gold. Huel Hauser looks at the missions, but it's dope because he's so enthusiastic, so fun, and so California, even though he was from Nashville, which is crazy. But they're all about exploring Los Angeles, California. So yes, the dude had a house on a volcano and he is an absolute legend. This is a huge compliment and I would love nothing more to carry that torch. And yes, I dropped way more F-bombs than Huel Hauser. Um, Quick anecdote, when I was growing up, my best friend at the time, he lived about three blocks away and he's still my best friend. Damn it, Jared, what's up? So he... Grew up in a household that was something like Cameron and Ferris Bueller. His parents were pretty strict. His mom was a teacher. My parents, as you know, were hippies. And we turned about nine, 10 years old. And my parents let you curse, right? Like they were from that school. I could say shit, fuck, damn, whatever. The George Carlin, seven dirty words. They didn't care, right? As long as it wasn't used in a mean way, they were okay with it. Figure I'd get it out of my system. Now, Jared's house, 
you couldn't say darn without getting a dirty look. And I'd go over there and I'd be like, damn it. And he'd be like, shh, 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 I can't say that, I can't say that. But he'd come over to my house and be like, shit, blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff. So anyway, whenever I think about cursing, that's kind of the story I think of. So yeah, Huelhauser with more cursing. Love that. Thank you, Mitch. Next comment in the mailbag comes from Miguel in Montebello. Montebello, one of those little communities I don't know that much about. And I need to get down there for an LA in a Minute episode. I know it's in that dope little industrial corridor. I think it's off the 710, but yes, that gives me an excuse to get down there. But here's the, here's the comment. You are now the people's champ. You belong to the streets. Ooh, that is dope. I'll be honest. When I started reading newspaper articles on TikTok, never did I think I would be called the people's champ. But look. We're going to keep doing what we're doing and belong to the streets. Yes. Invite me to the carne asada. Invite me to the parties. Let's go. You know, I'm always out there exploring. Love this. I'm not doing this for accolades. I'm not doing this for kudos. I'm doing this to have some fun and just love this city. And now Bryant, I have no city on this, but that's all right. Bryant like Kobe. What's up? With all the work you've been putting in, where is the History Channel at? What about Discovery Channel? Yo, Bryant, good point. History Channel, Discovery Channel, if you're listening, where are you at? All right, and then if you remember, every Friday we're doing the What I Learned. We got a good contribution this week from Bismarck underscore Productions. He said... To design the Oscar, Mexican actor-director Emilio El Indio Fernandez posed nude to have the Oscar designed with him as the model. Now, you know I had to check, do the homework, and verify it because that model figure, that little statue was sleek and fit and lean. And I never really thought about there being a model, but let's check this out. Look, looks like Fernandez really was the guy. And the Oscar, by the way, is the Academy Award it was officially nicknamed the Oscar in 1939, but they say it might as well be called the Emilio. And the dude was Mexican, born in Coahuila, Mexico in 1904. He was a screenwriter, actor, director in the Mexican film industry and the American film industry. And because he was friends with famed Mexican actress Dolores Del Rio, who would go on to marry the man who designed the statue, Cedric Gimmins, she recommended the perfect guy, her friend Emilio. And by the way, Emilio Fernandez was in 1947's The Fugitive, the original, The Night of the Iguana, and Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia. So some classic films, and that was a good tidbit. Thank you very much, Bismarck Productions. All right, so that's what I learned from you. But here's what I learned doing my research and putting some episodes together. Let me get right to it. The internet. First of all, did you know the internet was invented at my alma mater, UCLA? Bruins, go Bruins, a clap. That's right. October 29th, 1969, Professor Leonard Kleinrock and student programmer Charlie Klein sent a message to Stanford University on what was called the ARPANET. So let me put something in perspective. This ARPANET, the whole infrastructure for these computers at the time, and maybe you've seen these images. It's almost comical, but like for one megabyte, eight megabytes of information, these computers were bigger than, than trucks. They were almost the size of like a big rig just to try to process 
these tiny messages and at the time these mathematical equations, you know, like the size of a classroom basically. And now we have supercomputers in the palm of our hand that process terabytes of information in fractions of a second. It's just nuts. That message, that first message that provided the foundation of everything we do, everything all of us do every day, the internet, that message, low, as in L-O. That's it. The message was supposed to say log in, but the computer system crashed after the O. Now, obviously they got that up and running. For the next 25 years, the ARPANET turned internet was used for academic military research purposes till a company called CompuServe created email forums message boards which became popular right and now look I don't know how old you are I used AOL you remember those CDs they were everywhere they were crazy I had heard of like Prodigy and CompuServe but I was an AOL guy I just was I didn't you know we didn't know what was going on it was popular it was fun but none of us knew what was really going on at the time right but Turns out that trolls were existent right off the bat too. Threats, vile messages, libel, name calling. Well, somebody sued CompuServe saying they were they were liable for what their users wrote. Full stop. <laughs> Imagine today if Google, Meta, Facebook and Instagram, or Twitter for Christ's sake, was liable for everything their users wrote, if they had to regulate every word, every threat, every troll? <laughs> Dude, come on. The internet would be impossible to navigate and these companies can never exist. The internet wouldn't exist. So here's what I learned on that. Turns out, our good friends in Congress <laughs> actually had the foresight to pass something called Section 230, not going to get into the nitty gritty, but basically section 230 said these companies are not responsible for what users say. And this is what allowed the internet to flourish. And look, I get hate messages, spam, definitely trolls, but I couldn't be who I am without the internet and neither would any of us. So just remember Congress in section 230 allowed the internet to exist. That internet, which was invented at UCLA, so I thought that was some awesome facts that I learned. Now, speaking of the internet, the inspiration for me to start Ellie in a minute, which begat in a minute with Evan Lovett, is my son. And this is the therapy session for this week. This is a serious one. Um, to touch on that, my son basically inspired Ellie in a minute because he was eight years old, really getting into screen time on the internet. And I told him, look, you have to have something productive and or educational to watch. And that led to me holding the newspaper up, which were the primitive versions of LA in a minute. So thank you to the internet and thank you to my son for inspiring that. So flash forward, coming home from a funeral last week and funeral 75 miles away. It was in a place called Colton, which the Inland Empire kind of, uh, past San Bernardino, pretty far from LA proper, but it's all greater LA out there. And we're coming home in the rain and, you know, post-funeral, everybody's in a mood. Uh, my wife and son in the car. And I was in a mood. I'm, I'm kind of, again, as I've expressed previously, I'm kind of always in a mood these days, maybe ever. I've always been moody. Let's just call it what it is. But 
I was in a mood coming home from a funeral, right? Leave me alone. No. So we're talking about something and uh, I'm being a little bit of a jerk, a little touchy. Maybe it was with the music. I, I don't even really know what sparked it. But my son says out of nowhere, not out of nowhere, but again, nothing that I saw that was relevant. He's like, you're always so hard on me. And I was like, what? I'm never, I'm, look, and this is the truth. I'm super encouraging. I think I told you I manage a, a baseball team, a nine-year-old baseball team. And it's funny because I am the good job guy. I, I Yes, I used to play baseball and I was a pretty good baseball player at a fairly decent level, but I'm not a coach. I'm not a teacher. So I, I manage through encouragement and that includes my son, right? I, I want to get the most out of these kids. I'm not a hard ass. And I'm from the school of like, they don't need to be taught in that sense. They just need to let their ability flourish and let their confidence kind of lead the way. And, and my responsibility is instilling confidence which again includes my son. And here, I've been lucky because I've had a strong sense of confidence since I can remember. And I've seen it in my wife throughout the years, especially when we were first dating. And she's confidence up, confidence down. I you know, try to, try to build her up. And my son kind of takes after that path, right? I, I, I see him being the strong, silent type. The stuff he knows he's good at, he's very confident in. But you kind of need to or I kind of need to remind him that he's good at things that maybe aren't his strongest suits. And whether it is something that may even be a weakness, I see my responsibility to kind of build him up. And, and that's the way I look at it. Like I do do that. However, I'm aware enough to know that I'm not even going to use the word demanding because I've seen demanding. I see other parents, whether it's little league soccer school, otherwise I don't, do the same kind of yelling on the field. I don't be like, how many hits did you get to? And none of that stuff, right? But I do want him to try. I guess where I'm demanding is I demand that he try his best because does he need to be a pro baseball player? No. Does he need to be a pro soccer player? No. Um, does he need to be a rocket scientist? No. But I want him to get the most out of his ability. And when I put my head on the pillow at night, or before that, when I pray every night, yes, I'm Jewish and I pray, uh, I don't pray to a specific God, but I pray to a God. And one of those prayers is always like, make my son like, you know, find what he loves and pursue that and try his absolute best. And I do instill that in him. So when I see him sort of slacking off or goofing off, I'm like, are you doing your best? Or when it comes to sports, are you practicing? Do you want to get better? If you're disappointing result well guess what you need to practice and that's how you're going to get better and I never think of it as harsh because I don't force him to play you know that's kind of one of my nightmares is to be that that dad there's a, a Marv Marinovich situation 30 years ago this this dad of a quarterback named Tom Marinovich kind of micromanaged his son for the first 20 years and his son was a robo quarterback one of the best of all time in the prep level and then he totally went haywire after college because he was over managing you can't do that you know that the helicopter parent tiger parent whatever you want to call it so I'm really at least thinking I'm conscious of that so I get in this discussion with my son in the car on the way home from the funeral I'm like what do you mean I'm harsh on you and he busts out an example like right off the bat he's like well in the last soccer game of the season 
you said I didn't try hard enough to score a goal. And at first, and this was back, let me think, when was the last soccer game? Probably four months ago. And again, he's an athletic kid, so he can be as good as he wants to be, but he doesn't love it. And that's fine, but I just want him to be as good as he can be. And as soon as he said that, I knew exactly what he was talking about because he had scored a few goals. He'd scored a handful of goals. And I told him in the last game of the season, finish strong. I always say that, finish strong. Whatever you're doing, take that positive momentum into the next thing that you're doing, whether it's the next game, the next season, or the next test, the next song, the next aspect of life. Like Carry that positive energy with you. So I was like, score a goal because that's a great way to go out. And he didn't score a goal. And I remember that last game of the season, he was just running around. And again, to my eye, I was like, just go, just try. You could score a goal. You know, it's not, not the highest level. It's not club soccer. It's not anything like that. And I did tell him that after the game. And to me, and this is one of those things where I'm like, oh no, like it didn't even matter that much to me at the time. I forgot about it probably by that day, an hour later. And it stuck with them. And I'm like, like all these things are running through my head at this point, right? Whether it's, we're going to need therapy together. He's going to resent me. He does resent me. And he's nine years old, which is a crucial point, right? This is the age where you start to remember things about your parents, about your upbringing. It's the foundational things that form how your life is going to evolve. And my boy is is fairly sensitive, and I know that. And he's going to be great when he's going to do whatever it is that he does, but he doesn't want to be pushed. And the more I push him, the more he turns away. And I know that. And that's not how I was. And it's tough for me to relate. It really is. And here's what's funny. Not funny, but my dad was so chill, like, I never remember him pushing. I never remember him yelling. I was only grounded one time. No, let me take that back. I was grounded twice in my life, okay? And they were with damn good reason, right? My dad didn't even yell at me, at least, a lot. One time I was grounded because I moved my mom's car in 86 Ford Tempo. This is before, I was like 14. I shouldn't have been driving. I thought I was all cool in front of my friend. And I moved my mom's car in our own driveway and I knocked out a pole that held up our carport and it collapsed. So that was one time that I was grounded. The other time I got eight U's on a report card. You guys remember report cards? I don't even know if they're the same format because my kid's school or not. But back then it used to be like grade. um, I think it's like work ethic and behavior, right? So you get like AEE is the perfect grade. Why would be the kid who get like AEU because I would talk nonstop in every class? Well, one report card, I got eight U's, six in like citizenship or behavior and two in work ethic. And my dad, I remember I had a friend over, he sent my friend home. He's like, "Uh, Justin, can you have your dad uh, come pick you up? And then he just, whoo, yeah, that was actually probably the most pissed he ever got, but he was never mad about sports. He never pushed it. And all this is going through my head while I'm with my son at this point where I'm like, oh my God, dude, like the one thing I want is a good relationship with my son. I truly do not care what he wants to do. I will support him and love him and be proud of him. 
And for him to say that just rocked my world. So I'm diving into it, right? I'm the type that wants to talk about it. I'm like, what do you mean? Am I always, and he's like, you're always harsh on me. You're always mad at me. And then now I'm flashing to these baseball practices. Like I said, I'm the manager of this team. Well, guess who's the kid who's been yelled at the most on our team? It's early in the season. We've only had like four practices. I've already singled him out and yelled at him twice. And like, look, yes, he is screwing around. I think objectively there is the uh, fact that he's kind of, taking liberties knowing his dad's a coach and I feel like I got to put him in check and I yelled at him and he's told me he said harsh stuff he said harsh stuff at the time but it's heat of the moment but like he's bringing this up now in this car ride home and I'm like oh my god this is really sticking with him this is really affecting him affecting him and I don't know exactly how to deal with that because I sure as hell want him to be the best he can be I am somebody who believes in being productive, practicing, working hard, being conscious of constant improvement. And I want to have him kind of adapt these traits, but everybody operates differently. And for instance, my wife didn't flourish until her mid twenties, but guess what? She got to figure herself out. She took her time and now she's kicking ass. And it's like everybody evolves at their own pace and I got to keep that in mind. It's not even like my son is behind and needs a kick in the ass. He's doing great. So all this is going through my head and this is really difficult because we're having this conversation and like my wife's there and she's, she's in the role now of like, does she play referee? Does she take a side? How does this operate for her? I'm trying to have this mature discussion with my very intelligent nine-year-old and we are having a dialogue, but what he's saying is just cutting like a knife. I'm too harsh. And then he follows up with, you're never positive enough. And I almost go haywire because, again, I'm the good job guy. Like, that's what I'm known as. I ask around my little league. like, And I tell him good job on everything. School, tests. He just got a test the other day. He had an 86. It was a 90, an A- minus with the uh, with the extra credit. And I told him, like, I told you good job. And he's like, yeah, you said it was an A- minus with the extra credit. Guess what? It was only a B, but a B is really good. He's telling me this. And I'm even wrestling with that in my head. I'm even wrestling with that where I'm like, a B is good. And like people get by with Bs, but why don't you want A's? I don't say this because now this conversation's happening, but I'm like, oh no, like you see like low expectations and all this, both sides. I get both sides because I'm like, no, be great. One A plus. I'm trying to think in my head, what would Kobe do? You know, like things like that. Where like these guys that were, were literally sick in the head, but fully obsessed with being insanely great. Like, but I don't know if that's the right answer. But what I do know is that I want my son to love me and appreciate me and, and know that he is loved. And there's, you can't be a best friend to your kid. That is a romantic notion. And I am proud and truly honored to say that I was like best friend. I consider my dad, my best friend, at least in my adulthood. I never thought about it that way when I was growing up. But it wasn't like my dad tried to be my best friend. He was never buddy-buddy. He was never being cool. He was just being himself. And he was supportive and he was loving. And he was understated. He was a quiet guy, you know, for the most part. But I just always knew he loved me and I always wanted to make him proud. And, like, that's the way that I want my son to feel. I just want to make my son proud because I know how great of a father my dad was.
and I want him to feel the same way about me. And right now, I sense that resentment, which is just really difficult for me to deal with. So I'm going to be working on that, and I'm going to keep you guys posted. So thank you so much for listening. I just need to get that off my chest. And it was my dad's birthday this week. He would have been 72, right? And I happened to have saved the last voicemail he ever left for me. It's a week before he died in 2017. Now, he was an accountant. They called him the count, which was a double entendre. Number one was because he was a night owl, probably the hardest partying accountant the planet has ever seen. But he was damn good at his job, the accountant. So they called him the count. And this is the only recording I have of him, so it's special to me. So introducing the first guest ever on my podcast, Stu the Count Lovett. Hey, man. Okay, just got off the phone with the Franchise Tax Board for the 611th time. Set a record. Anyways, um, do you have copies of your canceled checks? If not, can you get them as soon as possible? We need three canceled checks. So we need the fronts and back of those three checks. Then I need the faxes to this lady up in Sacramento, and she said she will get it straightened out within 48 hours. They're still unbelievable not have it corrected. I mean, I've never seen anything like this. I'm glad. All right, man, if you can get that information to me, then we can conclude it. Take care. Bye. Now, first of all, the only reason I even kept that message is because it had all kinds of specific stuff about checks and cancel checks that I didn't even want to get into at that moment. So it's like, oh, let me save it for later. And luckily, if you will, you know, I recognized that it was probably fortunate that I had saved that. So... The second point is that that message came in at 1.39 in the morning, and that is perfect Stu Lovett, where he was just getting down to start doing the serious work after he had probably had who knows how many edibles, who knows how much smoke, maybe a painkiller or two, maybe a drink or two, but man, he was good at his job and he was a great father. But look, maybe even more important, No, I can't say that, but equally important, and I would be remiss to not have my mom on the show as well. But here's the second guest, Dina Mangus Lovett. And by the way, she was known as the Mangus. They went on a trip down to the south, and they were on the Kangamangus Highway. And my dad, who used to always give everybody crazy, funny nicknames, said to my mom, you look like a Kangamangus. And at first he was calling her Kangamangus, but that ended up being shortened to Mangus. And everybody who knew her for the last 20 plus years of her life knew her as the Mangus. So without further ado, here is my mom, Dina Mangus. Love it. Hey, baby bird. I love you and I miss you. Um, I was thinking, you know, you guys should think about leaving Felix here over a weekend night, like Friday or Saturday or whenever you want, so you guys can just go out, the two of you, and have a good time. You you deserve that for yourselves, and plus it gives us a chance to interact with our wonderful little boy 
he's a, turning into a big boy, and I'd like to have him sleep over before he gets to be like 30. So I love you, and I want to again thank you for bringing that guy over in regard to the carpeting. You're very kind. You're so special. I love you, I love you, I love you. Give Mike love and kisses to Nene and Felix. Bye-bye. That one is really tough to listen to. That is my mom at her truest. And the reason why I kept that voicemail, here's the truth. Um, Told you that the last 20 years of her life, my mom was uh, an addict, frankly, to prescribed pain pills and stuff. And she'd have good days and bad days. She had a lot more bad days. Then she had good days. But um, that voicemail was from a good day. And I saved it. Because I knew there weren't that many of those days left. And I can tell you, at the time, I probably played it for my wife. And I was like, huh, listen to this. My mom wants our son to sleep over. Like, that's never going to happen. Because my mom was loaded half of the time, 90% of the time. And even with my dad, they were both loaded. And we would have, you know, we loved them wanting to have a close relationship but he never did end up spending the night but I will say this after the car ride home from the funeral I'd picked my son up from school the the following Friday and out of nowhere which was cool he was like I miss grandma and grandpa. And I know he meant my parents because my wife's parents are Abuelo and Abuela. So he's like, I miss grandma and grandpa a lot. So I miss you, mom. I miss you, dad. I love you guys. And it's truly an honor to have you as the first guest on my podcast down the road. It's going to be amazing to just have this archived for posterity that I will know however many episodes this podcast goes that you two were the first guests ever and that really means a lot to me so thank you both okay so in honor of my dad one thing you need to do in LA this weekend is this and the reason why I say in honor of my dad because my dad used to take me here as a kid And this is still probably my favorite restaurant in L.A. And those of you that know, know, go to Pioneer Chicken. There are two left. The one in Boyle Heights is the one I know and that I've been to recently. And it's still just like you remember it. It is literally the best fried chicken. It's this orange fried chicken which with such crispy skin, that crunch you can hear it from like 25 feet away. And it's some of the best LA memories. And you got to understand, 
Pioneer was actually the king of Los Angeles fried chicken in the 70s and 80s. It was bigger than Popeye's is now. It was bigger than KFC. There were over 200 in Los Angeles. And it's a crazy story. I did an episode on it, why they got shut down, why they sold to Popeye's. But there are the two left. And the one in Boyle Heights, 904 Soto Street. Go see Ernesto. He's making it happen. I hope they expand and I will support them forever because it's like I remember. It's so fun and so delicious. So check that out. I get the eight piece because I'm a glutton and it's my damn favorite food in the world. And I want to finish and then I want to have another meal. Then I want to have a third meal of it. Don't sleep on that coleslaw. The biscuits are so good. Get some honey with that. The mashed potatoes in the gravy. And if you're nice like that, get the gizzards too. They're so good. Everything there is so good. And don't forget, Pioneer introduced Orange Bang to the world. And my son loves that. And I love that. It's this fluffy orange drink. And it was award-winning, but that is also all about Pioneer. Go there. That's what you do in L.A. this weekend. So you heard about our sponsor today at the top of the show, McKenna Cars. Let me tell you the McKenna Cars story. Check this out. In 1949, when 16-year-old Mike McKenna was arrested for streetcar racing in South Boston, the judge gave him two options, serve time or serve his country. Well, he chose the latter and he joined the Marines. He was sent across the country to Camp Pendleton, where he met Bob Stevens, who would become his new best friend. When Mike and Bob left the service, they moved to L.A., where Bob's father-in-law, who was a retired German doctor, was given one of the first Volkswagen dealerships in Los Angeles. He asked the boys to join him in the biz, and they jumped at the chance. And the VW Beetle gained in popularity. And while that happened, Mike McKenna learned to treat his customers with respect and support. And when Porsche was offered a few years later, they welcomed the new brand by expanding their sales and service departments. Now Mike's son, Danny McKenna, he took over the Volkswagen Porsche operation when his dad moved to Hawaii. But they share nine Volkswagen stores and three Porsche stores in California and Hawaii. Now Danny and his kids manage Volkswagen dealerships in both Huntington Beach and Cerritos, plus the McKenna Porsche and McKenna Audi in Norwalk. They invite you to visit McKennaCars.com and see how easy it is to lease or purchase a new Volkswagen or Porsche. After 70 years in business, you'll experience a team that's firing on all cylinders. That's McKenna. McKennaCars.com. All roads lead to McKenna. So that was episode 45. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you feel the magic that my parents convey and and the magic that my team was able to utilize to get them on the show. Um, Really personal to me. And I hope you were able to connect because they're what made this show. And they're what made me. So I'm forever thankful. And I'm thankful to you for listening. Go out, get that Pioneer Chicken. Use the internet to go find where those last two Pioneers are. And think of some questions to write to me in a future mailbag. Um, I had a lot of fun. If you did, give me that five-star rating. And please, please leave a review. I know I always say that, but it's so helpful. Each one, each review helps for the algorithm. Follow and subscribe. Get the auto download when the new episodes come out every Friday. But most importantly, just enjoy Los Angeles, this city that we love, this beautiful, amazing city of Los Angeles. Thank you for listening to In a Minute with Evan Lovett. All right, y'all. It's been a minute.